Watch this. I'm looking for, that's pretty much sealed up now. I've been talking to the guy, a Scottish guy who's running a job in a far fun place where <laughs> it's a little bit concerning that I'll ever come back. All to be, all to be announced. <laughs> well, it's really strange, actually, because of late, well, not so much with the Israel thing, but that whole region is, you have to think about that now mm. before you take these jobs. So, um, but obviously at the moment, you know, the main commitment for me as you know, next year is back up to Castle Stewart Cabot. Um, and that's that's a big year for us. Massive push to be ready for two two five. Man of mystery. So we've got Mick Wells on the on the pod. Mick, how old are you? I'm sixty two. You don't look a day over forty. <laughs> it's a cool dude. Mick smells great. Did you notice when he came in? Is that Tom Ford you're wearing? Outrageous, but I wouldn't wear Tom Ford. Well, what is that? No, it's check and speak. You, you, it's check and speak. I've never even heard of that. Well there you go. You're, you're, a, you're a snazzy guy actually. <laughs> I'm glad this isn't actually on footage. You're, you're the second person I'm going to accuse of looking like Sam's dad. Um, <laughs> oh, I feel like Sam's dad. <laughs> I've got a, basically a, a Sam doppelganger going on here. But we uh, we met you, Mick, up at Castle Stewart, up you at did, Cabot yes. Highlands, as it, as it is now. And uh, we were forced serendipitously into a room together. Someone shut the, someone shut the I door. I think I'd rather go with a cottage than the room, to be fair, Tom. That was quite a nice couple of days, though, wasn't it? We yeah, it was good. It was good. It was nice to meet you guys. And I think, you know, obviously, the remit was to get out early. You mm. know, you guys get out at sun, sunrise and we were out again at sunset. So I've always been an early riser. So it's what was that? That was like May, wasn't it? I think yeah, it June. was, yeah. Yeah, maybe. May, so it would have been quite, quite early. Yeah. You were yeah. ready to break ground then, I think. Yes, exactly. Hadn't, hadn't quite broken <laughs> ground. And, and home's West Yorkshire? Uh, North Yorkshire. North so Yorkshire. I've been in North Yorkshire for about 10 years. Um, I came up again, uh, did some work at Rockcliffe Hall, okay. which is um, Durham Way or Darlington. Um, and then I needed somewhere to stay and I just ended up in this little village where it's got a great atmosphere. It's beautiful up there, isn't it? It is stunning. And I, I, was, just up, think I was up there the other week, played Crossland Heath, which is a bit, I mean, it's west of West Yorkshire. Yeah, I think it is, yeah, I don't really know but, that. But I mean, it's just the whole part of the world up there is just beautiful. Well, it's quite, I mean, you've got Ganton, uh, one way, York, uh, which, is, which is a great course, and then you've got uh, Seton, which is Seton and Carew and Cleveland, uh, good links courses, so. If, if, if I said the name... Uh, Mick Wells to someone and they didn't immediately know what you did and who you are what what do you do how do you describe yourself well it's my, my career sort of morphed really I mean I started as a greenkeeper which I think is a really solid base for what I do now because I've got a relationship with the guy ultimately that's got to look after what I create hmm. so um, I'm now a golf course shaper uh, but I do consultancy work as well so I get, for instance, course managers that know me from being a course manager and they get in touch with him. Mick says, well, we're looking at doing some alterations in-house. Yeah. So I go down there and I give them an idea. Sometimes they've had an architect in, they get a price for a contractor and some clubs can't afford it. So mm. they go in-house, much like you've, you've had yourselves at yeah, Blackwell. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously a lot of the architects have 
uh, contractors that they trust and they put them forward and it sometimes is just too much. So then you get the green keeper. So I'm that in-betweener where I will go nine times out of ten, I'll, I'll give them, you know, my, my sort of charge a consultancy rate. I go down there for the day. I tell them what they can and can't do and well, what I would do. Um, they'll tell me the plans that they've been given and what they're looking at, bunkers to be filled in, where to move them to. And I just give them ideas on height of face for fairway bunkers, for instance, you know, so you can get home if you're in the fairway side of the bunker. And, and if you can't, then a higher face on the... So it touches on architectural principles as well as... as, well as oh, I've, I've studied common it. Sense I, I, think it, I think that goes back. I mean, I was thinking about it when you asked me to do this and, and sort of, you know, where? how did I get here? So I, I just left school and wanted to do something where I got a suntan. It appealed to me while, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I had the qualifications. You're not doing a very good job of that. No, my, <laughs> no, no. But my father wanted me to go into banking and it wasn't for me. I've always had the house, outdoor thing. Um, and I just think that when you're a greenkeeper, if you're the right sort of greenkeeper, you're in touch with what you're creating, mm. you know, what you're looking after every day. And I can remember... I've always had the eye for the shapes and everything else. Um, and I just think that now I've got a situation where I, I go and help the greenkeepers. So I, I tell them what to do. And then sometimes, probably 30% of the time, they'll get in touch with me and they want me to do the work. Mm. Because I don't try, I try and pro, do a prolonged contract. So I'll go back to four or five golf clubs a year for a month. And I, I go for six years doing yeah. their work and so that's my that's my main bulk of the year and the other the other sort of six seven months of the year is consultancy work or sometimes like next year i've got six weeks abroad mm. and I, I go and do that contract and every time i have a new customer someone looks at the work and it tends to i did one i did one job in this area seven years ago at burton on trent and I got seven jobs from that one yeah. job without mm. advertising. So someone come and saw the digger working with the 360 knuckle, you know, the bucket and <laughs> everything else. You've been and on one of those before, haven't you, Tom? No, <laughs> no. What were we on? What were we it on? It was when just you. you. Only you had a go. You had a go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was filming you have a go yeah. on your little digger. It's absolutely we've, we've only just, we've Those only, things are so powerful. We've only just filled that hole in, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think you, I think you smoothed it over in about, in about 15 seconds. It took me an hour. It, it, was, like, it was like watching a dad just kind of give his boy free reign of a car. I'd like to know that. that I'm getting a on? bit concerned about this father and son. <laughs> <laughs> Can I not have, though, that I'm on the at least credited with some of the shaping at the new Tom Doak course at Castle Stewart? Yes, I think Highlands. the car part would be suitable. Well, no, it's quite about the bossy, though, isn't it? I, I think... You you kind of you 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 wiggled the the, the bucket around. I did move a bit of it, and you you did like a three sixty in the machine. I was going for some more sort of like Mackenzie style shaping. There was a lot more sharper edges. You yeah, know, so like I, I think, think when you shut your eyes, it became you it know, did, that, didn't it? Yeah, if you yeah. closed one eye and you sort of just <laughs> covered your the left with the. But that's know. another thing that, that that Tom was saying. I mean, uh, so so. The height of my greenkeeping would have been, I started in the late 70s and I'd left it by 88. I'd gone into construction in 88 and I'd done nine tournaments at Wentworth and Morton Heath. And that was a time when, uh, for me, I thought golf lost its way slightly because I'd, I I was brought up on a cult course. Um, I'd been a course manager at a McKenzie course since that period. Um 
And obviously, I worked at Walton Heath. So you've got Fowler, and then you've got the triumvirate with uh, Varden and Braid Taylor. Um, so I was I was honed in that Heathland, you know, Heather in the bunkers. Um, natural shape. Yes, exactly. Natural setting. And I, for me, what changed it all, and, and the, this is, you know, a lot of people won't agree with me, but this is what I think is that Channel 4 got older than Masters, which again is a McKenzie course. Mm. Everything was hatched up at that time. Everything was striped. It wasn't cut like it is now back into the nap with, you know, 10 or 11 fairway mowers moving in one direction to keep the distance down. It was all hatched up and all the fairway bunkers were tight mown all the way round, completely round. And then I started to see it at courses. I was working at Wembeth at the time, but lots of courses... Um, with a few exceptions like Swinley Forest but and New Zealand maybe, but even West Byfleet and places like that, they were cutting completely around the bunkers mm. in the 80s. So the fairways got massively wide in the landing area where the bunkers were. You could hit the ball left of a left-hand side fairway bunker and it had been cut round with a fairway, round, round the side. But they call them fairway bunkers, don't yeah. they? They don't call them rough bunkers. Yeah, but I, I think for me what I've always liked is... I think the fairway bunker, unless it's typical Colt cross bunkers, which is another thing that's fading out. A lot of cross bunkers are being filled in because with the technology changing, they're now not in range. They're almost aesthetic bunkers that people are just knocking over. You know, single-figure handicap is just knocking the ball straight over. Everyone gets obsessed with moving tees back, and that's where I now do what I do. So I get asked to go in, and strategically even copy the bunkers that are there but move them into the area that there's now common for, um, you know, the landing areas. But for me, what happened then is I worked at Heathland courses, which were, you know, traditionally halved fairways, like Lynx golf courses, like one side, dart the other. All of a sudden, it was diagonal hatching and Warpleston... You know, where I've worked. You like that static as much. You no, I, I just, the... For me, what it did was it did away with the natural mm. habitat coming into the bunker. So for me, the art of what myself and other shapers do is we build a bunker that looks like it's always been there. Yeah. If you can do that, then that's where the niche market comes. Was that always the goal? Because I suppose you look at, I suppose you're working on Cabot Highlands now and the goal with that will be to make it look like a lynx that's been there for 100 years, even though it absolutely won't have been. But when you were, I think you were involved in the Wisley, with the construction yes, I was, there. yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't say that's that's a course that looks like it sits in. No, so was I that totally always that, I suppose, tw- I suppose what I'm saying is you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, we weren't looking as reverentially at the golden age designs because they're only 30 or 40 years old. So we probably thought we it's, could do it's, that. You're exactly right. It's becoming vogue again. Um, and for instance, Rio, recently I worked on the full construction at JCB, Lord Bamford, at Um And at that time, you're talking about when I was working for Southern Golf, we did Hanbury Manor, the Wisley, Oxfordshire, Warwickshire, massive boom around the M25 of American investment american architects trent jones you know you've got to be careful what you say but they're not my type of golf course but i did work on them um didn't so much do the shaping it was more the finishing at that time yeah um it was when i went to berlin in 1990 i was out there for nearly four years 
and we worked with an architect myself and Stuart McCollum um, and a few other guys that I know, um, all from the greenkeeping. We worked with, a, a, from the greenkeeping industry, we worked with an architect in Germany called Kurt Roschnick. Never heard of him. He was absolutely brilliant because what he did was he would take a field and he knew that halfway up that field he was going to have to put a set of tees in. And he didn't like to see flat lines on golf courses. So he would put a subtle mound on front left and back right of those tee sets. So when you looked up, you couldn't see it. And that is where Mackenzie had that whole theory of camouflage. You know, Mackenzie design from when he was at All Woodley was, was camouflage. And it came from his army, I think it was the First World War, and the artist, you know, his time in the yeah, army. Like how you... Colt again did the same at Rye. You know, and I think all of that thing, I've always been a student of the architecture of that period. You know, from when Colt did uh, St. George's Hill. Um, you know, and I've worked at Burr Hill and, and, you know, I've played golf when I was at Wentworth in all those clubs. Sorry, Heathland Belt. But it's a good grounding for Golden Age design. It's fantastic it, for me because I, I grew up, when I went to Wentworth, I, you know, it was the first time I'd been away from home, went and lived on, on the course. And we had a guy in charge of us called Jerry Coley, who, you know, God rest his soul, he, he wasn't probably the most uh, revered, you know, head greenkeeper, but he was obsessed with, you know, curing compaction and power annual management, you know, um, annual meadow grass in the greens. At the same time, Jack McMillan was at Sunningdale and he had, I think, four or five sons who were, you know, went on to be course managers, all in the Surrey, you know, the Surrey Heathland Belt area. Lawson Bingham was at Swinley Forest. Yeah. So all these guys, I can remember nights when all the Wentworth greenkeepers who were interested, not everyone was, went to sit with Jack and talked about greenkeeping. Yeah. And it was at a time was where... Was that like a new thing back then? Was it not none of that Well, yeah, then? we were way behind the curveball. The states were so far... It was before you had Greenkeeper of the Year and a scholarship yeah. to go to the States, you know? So so the whole... You know, it, was, it wasn't amateur hour, but a course manager at that time... This was my problem. I went to college, you know, day release to college, and I found it was something that I loved. And I think part of it was I was earning money at it. Hmm. So I was interested in it and it struck a call with me. So I excelled at it. It was just something that, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily academic at school. I was great at sports, but, you know, I was okay. Um, I got the grades I had to, but it was a struggle. But when I went into greenkeeping, it was just second nature. Yeah. And and at that time, by the time I was 23 years old, I was an assistant head greenkeeper at 23. I had been at Royal Mid-Surrey. Uh, Wimbledon Common first, Royal Mid Surrey, and then the Roehampton Club. Mm. I was the assistant head greenkeeper, and I had nowhere to go because no one would let me be a head greenkeeper at 25. Yeah, it just wouldn't happen. You know, all the greenkeepers at that time were like Jack, uh, with the exception of maybe his sons, but they, you know, they had an association with their father. You know, he was a tough, tough mentor, and yeah. all of the boys were good at what they did. Um, but they honed their craft there. So like Jack at Sunday at the time was like, kind of he was key in Surrey and just like teaching good agronomy and good we, practice. Surrey is a history of great Scottish greenkeepers. You know, it's the home of good greenkeeping. Mm. You know, you know, detriment to the guys now, but at that time, 
if you knew you thought you were from Scotland. You know, because the management of fescue grasses as well had a lot to do with it. Mm. Braid was the pro at Walton Heath, what, like 50 years or something absurd, yeah. wasn't it? It was yeah. literally day one to about 48 or something I mean, that, like that. It's, it's just, and that's what happened. So basically, I was at, I was at Roehampton at 22 years old, and I knew I met someone out for a drink in Ascot. I was out, you know, clubbing, <laughs> as we were at that time, <laughs> in Bagshot. And uh, I met this guy I was at college with, and I had to crack with him, and <laughs> I knew him from Royal Mid-Surrey, and we were stood in this club, and I couldn't believe I'd met him, and he said, what are you doing over here? And, you know, inevitably, it was a, a young lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we and we had the crack, and, and he just said, look, there's a job going at Wentworth with a house. He said, and you've got the qualifications. He, he's putting together seven guys who are all capable of being a head greenkeeper, they're all 22, 23 years old, but they're not going to get a job. And that's the golden era. For and that, and that, was it. that was the match play championship. That was it. That was everything. I mean, that Two was, tournaments a year. So that was I, the top. That was the premier place, really, in British golf. It was golf brilliant for me because I got a chance to leave home, which was, <laughs> which I'm sure my father and mother were delighted about. <laughs> I think they, uh, they probably uh, you know, packed before I even knew I got a job. But, <laughs> but I found myself... Uh, living on my own at 23 years old at Wentworth and we had the White Mackay PGA Championship in, I'm pretty sure it was in May. Might have been, yeah, start of the season. So you're trying to get the best putting surfaces with Poerania at the time in the world and the old three-tiered, um, well, two-tiered uh, uh, third hole, which Tom Kite, I don't know if you remember mm. it, he took a wedge. I think he took six attempts to get up Really? I yeah, don't yeah. That. I mean, if you look that up, and then, you got him so slick, he just couldn't get this thing well, into the top know, deck. The tier was something like eleven foot high, yeah. you know, and he, he just kept putting nice it. natural. Nice, I natural think in tier. the end, he he used a wedge off the green, which was frowned upon at the time, but obviously, <laughs> totally legal. But they, they they were brilliant times, and you know the, the the mowers that we were cutting, we were achieving those heights. It was a work of art for the mechanics. It was unreal. What I mean, they had to get them so well, sharp because they we, were just old bits of kit. I think we had. We had one green that we used to cut with a floating head Toro, which was an American mower that had come over, and it was the only one we could use on the tier greens. And the others, you fought with your colleagues to get a Paladin mower because they were the best. If you <laughs> were Paladin, really, Paladin. If you were really unlucky, you got a ransoms, you know. And then, <laughs> oh, you're going down trying to, to like keep a straight line. On these like, things, were trying you? to keep a straight line like, with one of those was. But are, it we, was, are we ironing greens at this point? Is it? No, no, no. not a chance. No. I think we used to verti cut and dry cut with a triple in the evening, and those were Ransom's Harn, which are, you know, some people in the green kitchen world, if they hear this, will remember them. No power steering, all three units on the front. And you, you finished 18 holes cutting on the Saturday morning, you were like, Arnie Swartz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you weren't fit for anything else. And I, well, I can remember playing semi pro football for Virginia Water then. Uh, even in the FA Cup, I can remember cutting greens in the morning on the Saturday. You played FA Cup? Caddying in the in, uh, caddying at 10 o'clock, finishing at one, getting down to the ground for half one, playing Met Police in the FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> and, then going, and then going out on the lash. <laughs> so so they, they were great times for me and I was there for I did nine tournaments at Wentworth and I met some brilliant lads um, lads that went on to Sunningdale to be head green keepers um, 
uh, I'm trying to think where he is now, uh, North Downs, I think, and a, and a few other lads. Um, and then obviously I got to go back with Abbott's when I was working for Abbott's and we did the Ernie Else changes. Yeah. So that was not so interesting because, you know, I don't think Ernie Els knew who Harry Cole was. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or he maybe spelled it wrong, I don't know. <laughs> but I didn't agree with everything that went on. But you get attached to what was the Burma Road, you know. But, but then you get into this like world of construction, and I guess... I mean, we had a pretty early exposure to your abilities to build stuff when we turned up on the new site for the construction of the new course at Cabot Highlands. And for anyone that's been to Castle Stewart before, you'll see the brilliant sleepers that are just sort of popped up around the side with marum everywhere, marum grass poking out the top. Mm. And around the porter cabins, you'd sort of you decked it out with the sleepers all exactly the same as the clubhouse. And we're like, bloody hell, that's a bit impressive. And you're like, yeah, just botched that up about <laughs> half an hour ago. <laughs> so you're you're a practically minded character, aren't you? So does the construction stuff come easily? Because I'm quite keen to kind of chat some of this stuff through because just the the scale of it all and the complexity of construction with golf i think is massively overlooked which is really easy for idiots like us to sit here on a podcast and go yeah yeah i quite like sort of gil hans's work there and you know i suppose a bit different to tom dokes there and you you know when you actually go on site you get a very quick appreciation for just how much stuff is happening and how much nuance there is to this yeah but i think also you're you're possibly undermining your own personality slightly there because I think what you were, what I see in both of you is a passion for golf, you know, and and the right era, you know, from Walpenstern to right through to when I worked at Walton Heath, these are the clubs that I miss because, uh, you know, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but I can remember working with committee members on a Saturday morning at both those clubs and they would turn up eccentrically dressed, mm. tweed, but, but almost scruffy where they'd been wearing a suit yeah. all week. Sweaters with holes in But they in didn't though, need to wear the latest G4 stuff and bright colours and some... Vi- they didn't. They just went out with a, a pencil bag mm. and they played the game in its purest fashion. And that's always... That's what it, you like. That's always in me. And then... But but the whole thing is, I can remember, you know, when I was probably three or four, being on the beach in Norfolk, because my auntie had a guest house up there, so that's where we went from London for our holidays, and I can remember shaping dunes that were mm. behind me in miniature style in the sand. <laughs> really? <laughs> sort of for my cars to go through, you know, all kids yeah, had little yeah, cars. Yeah. And my mum used to, I've got pictures of me on the beach, three or four years old, punching holes, making a bridge and not bunkers, but I was copying the tunes that were there. So, and then, but it all comes, you know, like I've got friends who who you know as well. I won't mention him by name, but but his passion was snooker, you know? Okay. I'm talking about Stuart, but but then when Stuart... I was talking about Clyde, though. Well, Clyde again. Stuart McComb, the... GM at Cal- uh, Cabot Highlands at 147, isn't he? Yes. Well, I'm not so sure that's true, but I, I think Let's he wants... Cl- no, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story I, on this I, podcast. No. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I I think uh, that, that frightened Clyde a bit. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think the answer to that question is yes, he definitely did. But, but, but Stuart, Stuart's passion is unrivaled, and I, and I think I've got that passion. 
And I think that's why we've been friends a long time. And I think that's... Mm. But when he worked with Mark Parson at King's Barnes and then they went to Castle Stewart, they realised that... I wouldn't say they made mistakes, but they wanted to do things better. And they 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 used the technique of snooker in the construction of Castle Stewart. Don't believe you. Well, they did, because what they did is when you play snooker, you're thinking two shots ahead. And when you play Castle Stewart, if you can do that, you're you're not three or four shots off your round because it's where you put the ball. Yeah. Yeah? It's what side of the fairway you are. You don't have to be long at Castle Stewart. If you put it in the right area, I mean, one of the prime examples is probably 14. Mm-hmm. If you put it down the left-hand side of 14, you've taken out that whole ridge side yeah. and that fall off on the right you've yeah. got the length of the green to come in with if you go right hand side of the fairway which toast. is the easiest yeah. drive you've got that very narrow green to hit and then behind it so Mark wanted you to not necessarily the first time you played it but if you're a pro in a tournament and you're playing there four days and you've had a practice round you plot your way round yeah. that's snooker I think it's interesting going back to touch upon uh, one of your early points where you talked about how you bunkers should look like they've been there forever and it was just part of the thing I think what they did really well at Castle Stewart is the sort of the naturalisation of the bunkers the way they've kind of fallen in and you know they've got the, the half marum sort of face to it and it's they for a new course I think it's probably one of the finest examples of looking like it's been there forever where and it's interesting seeing the new place because obviously when the first time we went down you know, it's like a, yeah. it's a there's it's a big expansion. Mind boggling how you can see golf holes in that. If I'm if I was I being think I think a lot honest. of credit obviously goes to 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 Tom and Clyde in doing that, and they they are conscious that they want to put their their own twist on the, mm. on their golf course, and they're building a second castle. Sure, wouldn't be a mm. benefit to anybody. It would just be you've got yeah. to be different. But what they have done is they've they've been respectful and understood what went before um and you know there's a few things that that w- we were unsure of like for me personally it was the crossover of 1 and 18 to start mm. with but once i listened to Stuart and Clyde and Tom himself about why they'd done it it made total sense to me mm. so and i don't think they're frightened to be a little bit quirky which i think was what mark was as well you mm. know and i you know um I just think it's a fantastic piece of real estate. It's attached to a very successful resort mm. that's going to expand massively. And I think it's a great uh, security for the existing golf course after obviously Mark's uh, sad passing. But I, I think it's uh, a great injection for Scottish golf as well. And no, Ireland's will benefit because it's... You know, we'll come back to shaping the construction in a minute, but the, the Highlands as a as a destination, it's about trying to keep people there a bit longer. I think that's beneficial up there. Yeah, I, I think don't think you're struggling uh, as much yeah. in East Lothian or Air because it's it's all a bit more compact. But yeah, I think I think um what they were finding were uh, a lot of the Americans that were visiting were doing the West Coast and they were coming around to Dornock and they were heading straight to Royal Aberdeen before mm. Trump was built. And then I think Mark's idea was that if they had somewhere by road on the way down and you've got Nan and, you know, there's a little, you know, there's Lossy Mouth, there's a lot of Cruden Bay, there's all these clubs in that area before they get down to St. Andrews, mm. which obviously, again, is another cluster of, of, yeah, of many good more, golf yeah. courses. Yeah. 
You talked earlier on about, um, you said, obviously we've called you a shaper and you said you were somewhere doing some finishing. For the layman amongst us, what's the difference? So basically, how I got into this this whole uh, situation was um, I got contacted by my ex-course manager at Wentworth who'd been at Dornock and Hankley Common. And he'd uh, gone to work for John Jacobs and they built the Buckinghamshire. So he was the main man for Kojima, I think, with the Japanese owners of the Buckinghamshire at the time. And Kevin Munt um, uh, was in a situation where Southern Golf, who were building the Buckinghamshire, they were building Hanbury Manor and then they were going to go on to build Wisley all in that year. So they were stretched. Mm. But what what contractors did in those days was they, when you move somewhere, if you've got a big team, you've got to pay for a lot of housing. Mm. You've got to pay for a lot of meals. So they took managers. So they took a manager of muck shift, like, you know, earth movement. And he took a manager of shaping, which was generally the shaper himself, two or three shapers. But the finishing team were guys off the, off the doll who could, you know, really? put them on a rake. But the thing is, because the finishing if is just ever, you, the rake, right? So the finishing bet, is. But this is this is weird because I've heard like a bad finisher can ruin a good. Absolutely, so that's that's your point, and that was that was Kevin and I's niche market, and this is this is where it all started. So, I did the 1989 Panasonic European Open, run by Andrew Murray at not the tennis player. I'd say that. Uh, <laughs> he'd, he'd have been about. I'd say he was born then. Um, so that. So that was. Oh, all right, all right, son. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad's talking. You know, <laughs> this is mixed well, podcast. Let me know. Uh, <laughs> so, so basically, um, he he approached me. Said, "Look, I've got this idea uh, of running, of taking ex greenkeepers or greenkeepers on uh, holidays <laughs> to take two weeks out. Course managers come and work for us." And we'll pay them £8 an hour, which was a lot of money. Mm. It was a lot of money, but we were getting more than double that. So we we made this company up. Uh, I left, had in my notice, uh, which was tough because Waterneath is the one golf course I would, I would say I've missed, you know? Really? Yeah, definitely. What, it was, what, just just as a quick aside, what it was, was a, that? It was a family. It was uh, Wing Commander Bill McRae and then uh, Sandy Heron were the secretaries. It was old school. It was the only club with a you know, that had a reigning monarch as captain, and mm. you know the history. Ken McPherson was the pro there; he still made this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, met, we met Ken this year yeah. at the, at the Fant- 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 Really, nice really nice guy. He's got so the Churchill much, room and all that stuff. He's fantastic, and and uh, and so so when I went there as you know the deputy course manager to Clive, who who'd been there from when he was a boy, Clive Osgood, um, it was stepping into. A sleeping giant mm. on, on public land, you know, and the yeah. first hole has always been a problem for the old course, you know, getting that over yeah. the other side. Um, but just the history and, and the beauty of it, you know, and then obviously when we had the, the European Open, it's a composite course of the old and the new. Uh, it was a fantastic, brilliant tournament, and, and I didn't really want to leave, but my whole point was at that age, I was then 20, I think I was 27, 28 then, um, Clive had been there when he was a boy. He was a course manager mm. and he knew the golf course and he knew it really well. So he would go out and look at the greens 
and know whether they needed water or mm. fertilizer because he'd been there every day since he left school mm. for me i'd been to college i was used to taking moisture readings i would be putting on fertilizer using a hopper they would use it by hand mm. with a, you know, like a bird bath thing so not a conflict but I didn't think I could get up the ladder there. Yeah. You know, I needed to do a change. So my, my decision was I either go and do irrigation or I do construction. Uh, and I've ended up doing both, which I think you've got to do. I think if you're going to be telling people what to do in a management role, which I'm doing now at Castle, you need to know what you're asking them to do. You need mm. to have a great knowledge of it. You can't just tell someone to do something you don't know how to do because then... Yeah. You know, you've got to lead by example, I think. So we started Blade, which was a company, and the idea was it was the, the blade of the digger or the dozer, the blade of the grass, and mm. then the blade of the club. Mm. So that was the three stages. And our basic work was to do the finishing, which was people who could get on a rake, to your point at the time. That's the hardest thing to use, because if you get ripples or you don't get a finish... Then they got skilled on sand pros, which I think you've seen. I don't know if you've seen the boys, which is the three, the sort they call them the bike in the States. So they got dimpled tires and little okay. rakes on the back. And then we had uh, things like a York rake, tractors with stone barriers on. And we we would end up when we, when I, because I, I did that for two years. And then I got asked by Southern Gulf to go and be a, a contracts manager. Stuart got asked. And the lads that we had working for us, we had 14 lads, and we said, look, they wanted all our lads, basically. So they gave us a fee to put our company on company shelf and go work for them. So before you did that, they were just getting people off the dole for fishing. Exactly, exactly. And the, co- and, and <laughs> the contract... Just run a rake What are they asking me to do? Just run a rake over well, just, Yeah, just... The, so the contract... So there must, must be a massive reason for why some of these courses well, in I that think... era just lack a bit of, like... Je ne sais quoi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must be, though, right? See, the French fella. I, I, did, I, did, I did French and... <laughs> <laughs> so the, so the one who took a bit of French and socks off at Carnoustie. I know. But no, I, 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 I totally, I, that is totally the situation is that um, there, there was, that, that's the whole point we were making earlier is that we were dealing with Jack Nicholas Jr., Golden Bear, and the site manager was an American guy called Jeff Lawrence. They'd come from the States and it was what the hell was going on here, you know, and that's what Kevin saw. So I literally had friends from Fox Hills, Laylam Golf Club. Uh, they came on their holidays. They did two weeks. They got paid handsomely, and it got us off the ground the first year. Then we had legitimate staff. Stuart came from Elwood College, um, and then we went to Germany the second you know, We did we did Wisley and Hanbury Manor, and we started at the Oxfordshire, and then I went to Berlin. The wall had come down. And we went out there in 1990. Bloody hell, 89. Yeah, yeah 80, we, down. we went in 90 uh, because, but the wall was still up, you know. It was, you had to drive. Do you know when the wall came down? In 1989. 9th of November, 89. Right, yeah. My birthday. I know. <laughs> well, I was 85, <laughs> but yeah, 9th of November, 89. Do, we, do you think that, that Berlin trip was like the steepest learning curve? Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but the, like a, a eureka moment for you in terms of, Always love traveling. Oh, I, I, even now, I like to get 
in the truck or on the plane uh, and go somewhere I've never been and and I'm doing that early next year. You know, I can't really say too much, but it's been, it just come from nowhere. You know, it's word of mouth. Someone rings you up, would you be interested in doing this? You know, how long is it for? You know, six weeks, eight weeks. Is the travel hard? Do you find that? No, I love it. Really? Yeah, I, you know, and I, I'm going right out of my comfort zone with this latest one. So it's not the new TGL site that's just come down. <laughs> You're not <laughs> fixing the roof, are you? <laughs> no, 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 that's not me. But it's, um, it's, it's just, it's just, for me, I don't have, you know, it, the, let's get to the nitty gritty relationships. Right, if you're living out of a bag, so I come home with my bag on a Friday, I take out the dirty washing, mm. but most of the other stuff stays in there. There are things like waterproofs and stuff like that. I'll probably leave it where I'm working, and then on the last day, I've got double the amount of stuff to come back with. But if you're in a relationship, you have to be with someone who understands what you do. And I was in a long relationship, and it worked, but, you know... It's hard, isn't it? I you get that buzz, and I, and I think there's a, there's a trade-off. There's mm. a trade-off, you know. If, if you like what you do, and that's what floats your boat, then, you know, I'll never tire. I, I don't see myself retiring. I just see myself slowing down a bit. So I'm in a position now where... I'm able to cherry pick the jobs I want to mm. do and then I spend probably four months of the year at home in Yorkshire, which yeah. which I really enjoy. I don't play football anymore, so walking's quite a big thing. Mm. And it just and, and I mean I, I'm out walking and I'm looking at shapes in the heather. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's just like can't get away you from know, it. And, and it's um you know, and, and that's the thing. And it's uh, it's it's a really it's a really weird way that we've got to it but basically what i've perfected is what stuart started when they did castle stuart which is chunking and a lot of people do it chunking so basically you have an adapter on the bucket that allows you to cut chunks of turf large chunks so you're turfing with the digger that's Mm. what you're doing but you have to have a designated area of the bunker it can't be an area between a a greenside bunker and the green you can't put ever there you can sometimes, but... Oh, Chunk is the... Mo- it is the heather and, 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 and the mat grass, yeah. sometimes gorse and things like that. So, you know, the, where, where the, the one club I won over is, is a great guy. Chris Roberts is the course manager. He does a bit of consultancy work as well, and he's at Sutton Coldfield Golf Club. Uh, sleeping job. They're doing a lot of work there. They moment. are, yeah. yeah. So well, I started the work there, and there's a... Um, Pat Quinn is the pro, passionate about bunkers. Is that on Common Land? Yes, oh, yeah, Sutton Park. Yeah. Yeah. Sutton Park. Is, Royal Park. Yeah, it used to be owned by Henry VIII. It was, uh, That's right, it was a shooting lodge, yeah. And we're sat in Market, Bosworth, or which yep. is, and there's painting of Henry Seventh on the way in. Buffalo Are you sure Bosworth. he's not my dad? <laughs> <laughs> God, I remember my dad being that boring. <laughs> 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 anyway, more of a segue into Leicester. So, Sutton. Sutton. Yeah, so so basically, I went with Chris and I said to him, "What are you going to do? What's the style of bunker?" And he didn't really know. And I said, "Look, would you would you consider chunking? What are you allowed to do in the Royal Park? Are we allowed to cut heather?" And he said, "Well," he, and, he, and he didn't really know. And I said, "Look, we're on a greenside bunker, but at the fourth, I think it was the fourth we did, and the fifth tees were next to it, and the carry was just heather." 
that had been choked with grass for the last 10, 15 years, and the heather was hardly there. So I said, if you turf cut that, or I cut it with the bucket, and I leave that much black layer underneath, in two years' time, that'll be pure heather. And he knew his stuff, and we did it. So we regenerated, we, we, we sold it to the Royal Park, that we would rope this area off, we would put brashings of heather in there as well, so they, because they flail and catch the seed, mm. and we treated that as heather, and we put the the cut stuff on the bunker, which aged the bunker, and I'll never forget. It, and Chris will bear me out if you meet Chris. You know, he'd be a good lad to chat to on a podcast as well. He's got so very passionate. A lot of the courses that you've been to, he he's you know he consults at like the old school ones, um, and we started on the Monday. And on a Friday afternoon, we were just buttoning up. We put three new bunkers in and chunked them and put heather on the back and reshaped them. And, and they, they were finished. They were sanded. And two members who only play weekends but had got a chance to play Friday afternoon, these two old boys were walking down massive Mackenzie, you know, <laughs> course. And they walked down and they said to Chris, oh, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> so so Chris said, oh, well, you know, we've, we've done it. Why, why is that digger here? And he said, well, you know, we've been working here. Well, what have you done? <laughs> and he said, well, what do you think we've done? Well, I can't see anything different. So I said, well, have a look at the bunkers. Hmm. I can't put my finger on it. He said, well, there's three new bunkers. <laughs> no, they're not. They've been, they've always been there. And that was... <laughs> That there was the best compliment I ever had. That's the testimonial right and there. When, and when they when they listened and they wanted to know, which was really nice, they weren't just interested in playing their round. They were gobsmacked, and that was the thing. We made them fit into the environment that was already there. We used the indigenous plant, the heather, with the grass in it. And then when I went back, I went back for two years, and and the carry has never been stronger. It's pure heather. So yeah. we regenerated two areas, uh, and it's that's very hard that, to your whole point. Either. But we missed that your whole point earlier about the compound work with the sleepers. Yeah. So I don't know whether you ever saw it, but it was heartbreaking for the lads at Castle Stewart because they built a par three. Um, I don't know whether you know a nine hole par three. Oh, did yeah. you ever we see it? it? I did. We we it. And I played. I was lucky enough to play two rounds there. And I don't. I think some of the lads that even built it didn't get a chance to play it. It and was a design, so you could play with the whole thing. Probably eighty yards the longest. Do the whole thing with the putter. You could do it with a putter. And we we did a three club challenge too. around there. A putter, a wedge, and well, you didn't need anything else. I mean, it was two club challenge. No bag, but we took a trolley because we had gin and tonics in it. And that's how <laughs> Stuart, that's how Stuart wanted it. Yeah. Summer's evening, played it. So glad I did. The sum, Mark said to the team at the time, I believe this is right, that it was the finest shaping they'd ever done. And mm. he was talking about King's Barnes and Castle Stewart. Yeah, and that was and the best. That. And I mean, when I was talking to Hutch about it, he, he told me how long they took to get a little bump in front mm. of the green to shed the ball to the left. So it made the pin, you know, it was really and the whole the compress and release stuff. And yeah, the exactly. You know, it's taking you. So, so the People whole, the whole craft. point was that in there were sleepers, in there was marum grass and in there was chunk. Hmm. So the best thing about it, uh, and we're chalking cheese in characters, but Brian, who you've met, who's the environmentalist, you know, you know environmental clerk of works. He said to me, the, biggest asset for Castle Stewart was that 
they hardly brought anything in. All the sand capping of the fairways was there. The only thing they brought in was the sleepers. Mm. So I made a conscious effort that when we were dismantling the nine hole, let's take those sleepers and let's make these cabins look less clinical and Mm. more, you know, let's landscape it. We had the time. We were waiting to fire up. So I had a month, you know, sort of three weeks to do that. And we just... Got, got but you did say and, like you want to create the best like working environment for people working on building a course because you know it's like Clive Woodward type principles whatever you know or all black. But do you remember what was there? What, there was like there was there, you're gonna have to. I've only been there to that section once, Max. So you're gonna have to fill me in. But when you got there, there was a couple of cabins that had they had sleepers for steps, and there was a marum can out the side, and there was a bench made out of sleepers. There, wasn't there something machine, like in the shed? Barbecue was, pit. That was it. A barbecue out of yeah. You created a smoking out little tablet spot as well. We yeah, we had we had a smoking area, but we 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 made a barbecue out of a digger bucket. Out of a digger bucket. Huge digger bucket because when you're cooking for like you know twenty guys, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, sadly, we only had one barbecue with Scottish weather. <laughs> yeah, that's but, a good um, summer. <laughs> I think our attitude when, when, when the management team got together was that, uh, and it was a conscious effort by Stuart, that we needed to continue the feel that you get in the clubhouse. Mm. Now, a lot of the guys that are driving diggers are yet to go in the clubhouse, and I'm sure they will you know, at some point. Because, and I took a few of them on an early morning drive, like the one we did with you guys, to show them the finished article because some of these guys never been on a golf course before. Yeah. But we've, we've, really? we, yeah, some of the earth movers, but we, we've trained them just, we've seen potential in them and then we've just steered them gently. And Clyde's done a lot of that as well. Clyde and, and Chris Aspel have worked with guys that have done roads and instead of doing flat areas, like, you know, you can do the tees later, but right <laughs> yeah, now yeah, yeah. we need a bit of shape and they, and they've seen those and Hutch has done the same and Hex and, and the boys of, of what we've got is we've got a team of really good characters, nice guys, never late, always there, reliable. And, and what we wanted to give them was, uh, I know for a fact, so for instance, jobs who do all the earth movement, you know, these guys work in, some of the, you know, coldest areas and, and quarries and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And they were coming here, they were getting tea, coffee, milk, sausage rolls occasionally, mm-hmm. but they were getting a beautiful canteen, mm-hmm. clean toilets that, that you know... That Makes have, a difference, take a And we just work. thought, if we, you know, if you're feeling a little bit tired after you've done 80 hours a week... Yeah. And you wake up in the morning, you think, oh, I might have to day off... You know, if you're going to Castle Stewart, nice you think, well, actually, week. I don't want the day off. I so quite enjoy it when I go to work, you know. There's a, a a couple of things I'd like to, a couple of more, like, sort of themes I'd like to touch on. Uh, when I talk about shaping and, and sort of golden age architecture shaping and, you know, how you try and restore some of that stuff in a little bit. Uh, what's, first of all, an obvious question. What's it like working with Tom Doak and Clyde and having all those guys on board yeah i mean obviously it's a it's a massive selling point if if you're anyone in golf you know you know who these guys are i'd never met clyde before but i'd heard about him he does similar sort of thing to myself uh in the winters you know he's gone off to do his own stuff um it's they're schooled in a very similar way uh and their knowledge of old style courses is very similar and i think that's what i see in you guys as well 
And I and I think it <laughs> that's the best time we'll ever be compared to but, John but, Duncan. But Clyde. no, but I think I think so. I so think I'm a marginally better ball striker. That's <laughs> the, the only difference you can probably see, mate. I th- I think the thing is is that 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 era that you guys have tied into uh, from everything with the clothing, with the branding, with with, with the posts you make and the clubs you go to. You, you've got that similar thing to what I like and what Stuart likes and what Mark liked. And there is, to me, golf is a traditional sport, right? I know we're opening it up to the massives. I know denim is a thing that's now being considered and, you know, and and it's about getting bodies through. But the reason that that's necessary is because it's a boom industry, mm-hmm. right? It was a boom industry in the 80s. Then it started again in the 90s. Then in lockdown, it, it got bigger again, you know? But now people are starting to realise after lockdown that their leisure time is more important to them now. And then, you know, they're not going to pug all their money away for their kids. They're going to join the golf club. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. So now we've got a situation where I think we had a lot too many golf courses. And now I think for me, the reason it's got really busy is that a lot of the golf courses now after COVID, because I thought in COVID, the last thing that's going to happen here is that after they've not been allowed to play for four months, I'm going to get work digging a golf course up. Because they'll mm. say to me, why didn't you do it in COVID? But I couldn't do it in COVID because there was nowhere to stay. All the hotels were shut. So, but all the golf clubs decided that they would invest and make their golf club better than two down the road. Mm. Well, they're going to flush with cash, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, that's, um, yeah. I mean, that's one of the questions. I suppose, I mean, looking at the construction stuff, you're working on a project that's, you know, Cabot, Tom Doak, you know, it's as close to as as close to an unlimited budget really in that sort so, of so, so look, Do you uh, build differently if you're building for like a I don't know if you've done, for example, a municipal or someone said, Do you know, we've got this, but it we really, really haven't got loads to put in it. Do you what are the areas that you make sacrifices on or how do you work with those sort of economies? I th- I think the thing is is that I I knew about this project for quite a while mm. uh, but obviously couldn't say anything and and you know through connections I, I was always sort of in mind to be involved and it's a total pleasure um, it's about listening a lot of the time uh, you've got your own thought process on it but we didn't even know what type of golf course we were going to get mm. none of us did we we didn't know what was in Tom's head we didn't know what the ethos of it was we didn't know the amount of shaping that was going on. What we've got is a situation where the architect visits. Uh, he's so busy, Tom. He's all over the world, Australia, you know, all different places. And when he gets to come, him and Clyde can make a decision for the next three or four months. And that's when it all starts to take shape. Clyde's there every day, sees ideas. He's got he's obviously talking to Tom all the time. But when they're here, it really picks up. And so after Tom's visit, we suddenly saw what we were going to get. Clyde started with, with Chris and, and, and uh, Rory and Vittorio this year, four shapers, and 
met Vittoria. Uh, he came to our drinks party. At That's Walker. right. Yeah, I didn't get an invite for that. Was was, was that it? You, you're coming to <laughs> you our Christmas party. Dealing with Mick for our Christmas party was an absolute farce. He kept texting me, telling me it's not working. It seems to be working for every other. I, I think his play. comment was, "It's like trying to teach your granddad to play PlayStation," or your which, dad. which I didn't really like. I'd gone from father to granddad, you know, in a blink of an eye. <laughs> but I, I think, I think. Uh, we we found out that we thought, uh, and we didn't mean it in a detrimental way, we had a feeling when we saw the drawings that it was going to be a safe golf course because there wasn't plans to do much earth movement. It was all in grade and it's designed in the field. So there's no... Does that mean? Sorry, yeah, what there, does that well, mean? There, if you say to me, Mick, how many thousand cubic metres of, of uh, material are we going to move with the earth movers this month... I could generally tell you if I had a cut and fill plan and that came from the architect with a final drawing. We didn't have that. So so Clyde and Tom look at the whole. It evolves that uh, with with um, Ben at Cabot and he, he's got a very good knowledge of golf. And when you look at the golf courses that are already in the Cabot group, they're a great fit for Castle Stewart, in my opinion. They're very much built around the same ethos, the same feel. And it was amazing that because of the engineering that's had to go on, it's it's an engineering feat, we are removing massive amounts of topsoil to unveil gravel and then sand. We're shaping in the gravel. We're hiding the topsoil in mounds. We don't want it. Hmm. We were, we're trying to get rid of topsoil. And we're, we're then... So when we, we have these massive piles of stored topsoil... I think Tom, and I wasn't actually there, but you know, to quote him without being there, I don't want to be wrong, but he hadn't seen that much earth movement going on on a project. And I think it inspired him in some ways. Yeah, I think I mean, he, he wasn't became, became a lot more braver with the shapes and it's worked really well. So, and, and I, I had the discussion with Clyde early <clears> on, <throat> um, you know, Clyde's a slow burner, you know, you, you know, but when you when you sit down and chat to him at length, you can see, and I said to him, do you see that the shaping as it goes inland towards the railway will become a lot more you know, gentle to blend in as it gets away from the shoreline? And he said, absolutely, and it has done. You know? And I think it's encouraging now that we know exactly what holes we're building because some of that was up in the air. I can't really go into that, but... Now we know what we're building. Mm. Next year's a massive year for us. And then clarity. It, it's a partnership that's got to blossom between you as the construction guy and then Clyde slash Tom as the architect. Yeah. When you talked about moving earth, when we did the drive, I'm thinking about you were talking about how you're moving the topsoil away, expose the sand and the gravel, mine that, then put the topsoil, bury that places where you don't want it, move the sand to another part. You've got to lay irrigation the fairways and the greens you've then got to think about where you get the water yeah for the site across what is i'm guessing 300 ish acres or something like that it's near a seven yeah yeah acres yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
as a scale of engineering across that site with natural earth and with diggers and building, that's like mind blowing. Well, so can you give us a sense of like how important it is to get the project management, which you're responsible for, right? The project management of how you move that, the sequencing and stuff, and what that means in real well, terms. Well, yeah, for cost. I think I think so. Stuart's heavily involved. Stuart is, you know, is the project manager, Army's assistant site manager. So. We, and Hutch is involved as as a course manager, and obviously he's coming over. So between us, and then we have Malky, who's in charge of you know, the Earth Moving Company. We make a plan, and that has to change, mm. and it will change on what Clive wants to do. So because there's no plans of where we're mining the sand, we have to mine the sand where Clyde doesn't want to shape. Okay. Because we know that is a long process. But you've got loads of sand down. Yeah. So right? we have to take the topsoil. Well. We have to be careful, but yeah. Okay. But, so we have different grades of tops of sand. Oh, really? So if we have sand that's it, it is quite, it's got too many fines in it, and we think it's you know it's probably going to clog up a bit, we use that on the dunes because okay. the water will run off the dunes. It doesn't have to necessarily get in. Mm. But if we've got really good draining sand with less fines in it, that's our fairway and sand. You, you have all different types of sand. And then the we side. yeah, and then we have a root zone quarry now, which is purely for greens and teas. Okay. So 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 we did tests before we started. We did tests to find out and sent all these sand samples away. So we dug holes everywhere. Looked like a cheese factory. Mm. You know, there were holes everywhere. <laughs> and uh and we sent them all away for samples and then we worked out our areas. But then the holes not necessarily that the routing of the golf course changes, but certainly the infrastructure of the mounding around it and, and what Clyde did and didn't want to see. And obviously we've got Norboard, which is the um, MDF factory. Hmm. And a big thing for Ben was that he didn't want the clients to be able to see that. So if you're paying the green fee rates that, that Castle Stewart are at the moment, which is probably going to increase, I would guess, with the lodges and two courses to play, there are things that you don't want your customer to see. It might be, a you know a house rooftop, it might be an industrial chimney. Mm. So the whole shaping, the depth of the fairway, dropping people down, which means you don't have to build the bouncer higher, uh, and, and then certain aspects, and then raising them again in the fairway. So that's why you'll find a lot of the fairways on 15, for instance, go down, come back up, and and then the mounding is, you know, that's all things that Clyde's taken into, mm. you know, his perspective of what he's doing. But the other thing is what um, Sam was talking about is, Yes, we're in pure sand and then gravel, but we're buried topsoil. Mm. So the topsoil is never buried on the fairway. It's buried yeah, in the yeah. non-playing areas. Yeah. But the trouble is we've found is that when we've sand capped the topsoil, the water has gone down through the sand, mm. hit the topsoil and pushed the topsoil out and it's leached out. Yeah. The fines get onto the fairway, it caps off and we've got puddles. Yeah. So then you've got a, a situation where you need to get seeded and finished and hydro seeded, which is when you put the mulch on and it goes hard and you protect it. So it's a massive... Complicated. It is a massive project. And you're dealing uh, with a lot of money, aren't you? Because, if, if, I mean, it hasn't got to be about, you know, Cabot Highlands because that's relevant now and, you know, et cetera, and you, you don't want to disclose costs and stuff. But, like, give us some sense of, like, quantum here of, like, like whether it's the Oxfordshire, the Wisley, or Berlin, or yeah, you know, what you're planning to build next year, the, the, what are you burning through a day when you're building well, the these most, things? It must the most be so expensive. It, well, the most it, it depends on how much plant you've got on the kit. So, so if you if you're if you've got you know 
30, 40 pieces of kit on site and 30 or 40 operatives, they've got to be working. And they've got to be working in an economical manner. So when you dig the topsoil and you want to get rid of it, put it where you haven't got to move it again. So the first hole you dig, the first hole you dig, you're storing that topsoil somewhere. Yeah, the first one you dig. So that needs to go where you're never going to move it again and where it can form the spine of mounds. That's the first quarry we did. We took the stuff out. Then we find the gravel, and the gravel goes into Fire Fairway because we want to bring Fire Fairway up by a metre, a metre and a half. Clive wants to bring it up to keep the water away from it. Hmm. So we run all that for a week with one gravel with five dump trucks, one digger digging it, one dozer receiving it, and People another digger shaping it. It's like 100 grand. Right. So, so those, those guys are moving that stuff and they need to move it in an economical manner. So, you know, it, it happens and it's never happened at Castle Street because we've got good dumper drivers. But I, I can remember sites when dumper drivers were bored and chasing each other. <laughs> so then I've got three dump trucks parked up waiting to be loaded by a guy who's working like a madman for half an hour. And then I've got three dump trucks racing down to a guy on a dozer who's been sat there twiddling his thumbs for half an hour. And I'm so like, they've all got to be working I in just the same it's like cadence. A bike, it's like a bike chain. Yeah. So you've got your, your small sprocket and your big sprocket. You've got a dump truck at each end and one in the middle. If I see you catch each other... You're out of a job. Baseball bats are yeah, out. You shouldn't even be gone. talking. They want to they catch up, stand on the footplate and have the crack for half an hour. <laughs> but they don't realise that when they're racing down to the guy who's been parked up for half an hour waiting for material, the guy who's digging it has then got an half an hour waiting for him to come back. Yeah. So, so it, it's about education. Um, and the, where you're making money on any project is in your bulk earthworks. It's not in your shaping. Really? Really. So if you've got a really good bulk earth worker, moving your stuff where you want it and getting it close to what the... So basically, you've got a plan of what the hole looks like. You tell the earthworks guys to get it within 100 or 200 mil of the finished article, then the shapers come in and finish it. But when you're talking about building in the field, that is just a luxurious way of doing it that gives the architect the right to sort of walk through it. I don't quite like that. Let's do this. If you're building off plan for a new municipal build golf course, you'd want to know as close as possible where you could move that earth to so that you could get it as close as possible. Absolutely. And because then you minimise the construction costs for the client. Because that's really well, yeah, when you're working for a municipal, unless it's St Andrews, it's going to be a council. Yeah. Right? So, so... So that's why, you know, you've got a situation like that. But the truth of the matter is the last people that are going to look at the budget will be the golf course architect. Because mm. yeah, they want to do more. Can you still do also, really uh, good you, stuff? You, you almost end up with um, not a better product, but like a product which is closer aligned to, to what the architect wanted and not being restrained by what happened four stages ago you yeah know? i mean I, I don't think i'm qualified to tell you this and i don't think this is probably something you want on the podcast but but, but the, we'll give it a go but the, the nuts and bolts of it are is that uh ben is a big big noise in a resort golf in the world at the moment this is this is a high profile investment this is a high profile project this is a high profile resort Okay, and it, and and it's gone under the radar a lot at the moment, but I think yeah, it's going to be massive. Tom Doak is arguably the best golf course architect in the world at the moment, 
and what he brings is credibility, a name, and a chance to have a shot at the top 100 golf courses in the world. Mm. And that's where they want to be. So what he wants is, well, you know, well, he's been employed as the golf course architect for a reason, to give us an instant stature and an instant jump in that market. So, yeah, it, what what he says goes. But he's not arrogant enough to think that when he builds it, I mean, he's quite open. He'll talk about stuff and, you know, um, and and Ben's quite strong on what he wants as well. And and there's there's been, you know, on T placement and even the 15th green site has changed. You know, the, the client had a better idea where he wanted it or he, he explained it to Tom and he, he tells, you know, it's his property. He tells Tom what he wants. Tom tells him what ethically works, you know, from a, from a construction point of view, and and and, it, and it's a it, it's a a process that morphs. The, the other the other massive thing, which is you know we haven't talked about yet, is the fact that we are on the site of a of a castle from seventeen forty six, I think, or forty eight. Um, it is is you know archaeology. Yeah, yeah. It's just massive. Been... You're pulling up stuff there that's like regularly pulling up old china plates. Well, and it's, it's, well I wouldn't say china. Cups I mean, and stuff we, and... Well, the, you know, the archaeologists, it, it, <laughs> we're, we're stuck in the middle. We're trying to build a golf course. You don't want to find the Holy Grail, though, do you? Uh, but honest. we've been close. Uh, you know, I've, been, I've had a 5,000-year-old piece of pottery put in my hand, <laughs> and I'm the only third person to have touched it in 5,000 years. No way. And, and despite what you think, I wasn't there when it was made. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah, the, the archaeologist said to me, Mick, you're, you're sort of interested in that. I said, yeah, but I'm interested in building a golf course. Stop finding stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which he laughed at, and he took it out of a bubble wrap. He said, whatever you do, don't drop this. <laughs> What like, happens to that stuff? Yeah, I think it, it'll go to museums and stuff like okay. that. But literally, it was it was. The, but it won't stop progress. It has done. We we, we found uh, so on the seventh fairway, we found a wood henge, or they found a wood henge, which is about five thousand years old. They've never found one of those in the Highlands that far up. It was a massive find. It's the find of his career, the head <laughs> archaeologist. Yeah. So we've had the council and everything else, and it's a wooden version of Stonehenge. Uh, it's, it's crazy, isn't major. it? We're in Leicester, and you know that is where they found. Was it Richard V, Richard the Sixth, whatever? Know, you tell in the me. car, park. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the car park, the woman. It's the most ridiculous story, isn't it? The woman who just got totally obsessed with the notion that she could dig up Richard the Sixth body or whatever, or Richard the Third, or was whatever. It in the car park? Was yeah, it was in a car park. Yeah. She was like, anyway, look, let's not digress too much. It's the most ridiculous story. <laughs> I do. Whilst we are going to go back in time with my next question, we're not going to go back that far. I think this is a you talked earlier and probably a good part of the, to, to sort of close the pod on would be about the shapes and, and the, the sort of work of whether it's Colt you know Fowler I had a great quote the other the other week from a guy called Mike Mike Howard who works for Mackenzie and Eber and he said Tom Simpson always said you should never be able to see the end of a slope you know it was all sort of very natural and stuff when when they were making golf courses back then they obviously had less ability to move earth and now you're moving it in such large-scale changes. I suppose the construction process has changed undeniably. Is it always for the better? Well, I think it depends how far you want to go back. So, obviously, you know, we started on Lynx land, didn't we? You know, it was the land between the sea and the arable areas, uh, and that had its own shape already. 
So, but I think uh, Headingley, places like that, was some horrendous shaping that went on, you know. Really? Uh, well, it was just a horse and car, and, and you looked at it, and it was very, very uh, basic. But I think that the art now is that I, I, I go to golf clubs now, and they've budgeted on the amount of turf they're going to buy in, yeah? And I say to them, well, I'd like to strip out another six, seven metres that way, to the base of that tree. Mm. It says they build it too small now when well, they do it You've got to tie it in. And it like drops it, off. It has to be tied in. So the the quote is very true and, and it's not necessarily important to move a massive amount of soil. If if you're going to fit something in, fit it in subtly to what's there. And, that, and that's, that's what wins me work is that my work needs to be... Uh, it needs to fit into its habitat and its environment, mm. which is massively what Colt and Mackenzie were all about. You know, the reason Augustus are different is that it was built on a nursery, you know, and, mm. and, and, and you know, and, and it was never meant to be like Allwoodley or Moortown or anywhere else like that. So that was where Mackenzie, in my opinion, stepped outside of what he was used to. And then he went to Royal Melbourne and did something, you know, else like a flat piece of land, yeah. Yeah, and and they they did stuff which fitted to where they were. They didn't try and take Allwoodley or Rye or anywhere else like that. Mm. Mackenzie certainly didn't take any of his courses to Augusta. He looked at what he had and he did a golf course which is it's not. I appreciate what it is, but it's not my cup of tea. Mm. I understand it's a great golf course. I understand it's a, you know it's a, what, how they manage that place is off the charts. But if you built Augusta now, you could move sufficient earth around to create your own vision of what yeah, should I, sit I, there. But I think that's what we're doing now. I think what we're doing at Castle Stewart, and, and when you look at the, I mean, Cabot Highlands, they're, they've been architects that have sat in the clubhouse and refused to believe that those dunes aren't natural, <laughs> and they're not. It was a flat, arable field. You know, the amount of earth movement that went on there is absolutely staggering. But the end result is it looks like it's always been there. And it's so much so that people will sit in the clubhouse qualified in that area and don't believe it. Mm. And you have to show them pictures of the original site. So, so it's you can be massively aggressive in what you're doing. But... Back to your point, without wishing to be detrimental to any golf courses that I've worked on, but Wisley was a floodplain between mm. Perford Canal mm. and the RHS Gardens River. And they dug, they, it was an engineering thing. Whatever material they took out of the lakes was the material they used to raise teas and greens. Mm. And then same so, so therefore you're keeping the same amount of water capable of going across that floodplain. So that's why there's so many lakes at Wisley, because they needed to excavate to store water to build up a footprint where they couldn't store water. So mm. yeah, it's the original floodplain. Yeah, all those lakes Just are joined so that the yeah, water so. travels through the site from the canal right across to the river. But to me, it if you put me down on a hole in Wisley, I wouldn't know what hole I was on. <laughs> they all look the same and so does Hanbury Manor and so does the Oxfordshire and, you know but that was a period of time when they were doing that style and it was engineering because so much of it was you're building on sites that weren't necessarily 
God-given great for golf. That and, are you, on and you have constraints. Uh, so you, it's all an engineering project about how the, how the hell are we going to irrigate this? Well, and, I've, I've, and, and I've read... Get I've, the water away and... Yeah, I've read the original document, well, a copy of the original documents for coal and they acquired the land at Rye. And there's no environmental <laughs> officer. There's no planning officer telling them what they can and can't do, what heights the dunes can be <laughs> that they're building. There's, there's no sort of triple S going on. There is none of it. No, no, no it, was, it was well before that. But is Roy built to the detriment of the habitat? No, it's an asset, isn't it? Type of sustainable. Yeah, it's a sort of macroanish dunes. Yeah. Is a new golf course on mm. a triple SI land, mm. but they literally rolled the dunes and strimmed them, and then overseeded them. They didn't do a lot of earth movement. Yeah. That's why the walks between the greens and the tees are so long. Is that they, they, you know, McClay kid saw that he, he his next hole wanted to be there, so you might have a hundred yard walk to the next tee because it could be rewarded with dunes that were there. Yeah. yeah, just as a parting gift, um, you're getting around it because <laughs> I'll get around it. That will be a parting gift. I'll do that in a moment. Um, <laughs> when you work on a Colt or Mackenzie or Fowler or whoever Simpson one of the, the sort of the golden age courses and you are working with, you know, basically, you know, you're working with a masterpiece and you're asked to do bunkers or something like that. Is there, is there like a, a little nervousness or yes. fear? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. It's a very good point. Um, so I got contacted, uh, oh, three years ago by a guy called Steve Mucklow, who was at the Belfry, and he's been at both his air golf course in Canic Chase for 25 years, always wanted to do some changes. Fowler course, isn't it? Yes, uh, and a very aggressive Fowler course, you know, very, very brave mm. Fowler course. See, you know, um, lots of vertical banks, and off, drops off backs of greens, but Steve had been there a long time, passionate, absolutely passionate, and this is a guy who was a client and is now a personal friend of mine. So we were very close. He's just, he came up to Cabot and he was with me for a long weekend. Just came up, wanted to have a look around. We get on really well. Um, we, he had ideas um, that the architect had been in and, and, and done the changes and the, and the club had agreed with that and they owned the document. Um, and then, so so Ken Moody had done this report and then it, it sort of slept. They did the, the club. I wouldn't say they didn't have the money, but they weren't ready to commit. Mm. And then they got in contact on the back of my work at Sutton Coalfield. They'd been to see it, liked the chunking, uh, went and explained to Steve where we would take Heather from and Matt Grass and Bilbury is a big thing now, which is, I don't know if you know what Bilbury yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, Bilbury, uh, Bilbury Pie, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's Blueberry Pie, isn't it? Loughborough <laughs> University Party over in there. Oh, nice. That's where we're going in a minute. But <laughs> <laughs> Decimal just levels a, just increase just a massively. for next week. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, uh, you're absolutely right, Tom. It's a re I was very nervous when I went there because I don't know if you've ever played Bodies there, but you should. It's Desperate to go and play. I've never it's been. Absolute, well, I can sort that. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, not necessarily long, but strategically it's a, it's a, it's an architectural masterpiece uh, and so when when I did the first bunker I had to build was on the first hole and there was no bunker there mm. and fairway the, or greenside uh, fairway 
and he was stood watching me <laughs> and I said, Steve, the best thing you can do is trust me and just go away for two hours. And That's I what I say to Sam when I'm editing films, actually. Yeah. Just go away yeah. now, Sam. I, I just, <laughs> best I, part is you're likening yourself to a master at work. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah that's true. <laughs> but so I think different. that was tough for Steve. Yeah. But I think it was also tough for me, but I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And he went away for three hours and came back and just laughed and smiled and said, you know, I won't tell you what he said, but he basically said, you know, how the hell have you done that? What have you done? And, and I'd peeled the grass back 17 meters into the woods, peeled it back with a bucket and built a, a ridge, flipped it back and then taken some of the chunk from, because it was just virgin, you know, ground, semi-rough and put that in the top because when I peeled it back, I put so much material in there. I was about four meters short of turf in the middle. <laughs> so I cut bilberry from the back and put the bilberry in and he didn't even know that I'd built that ledge. And from that moment, that was three years ago, he just said, just Crack do, on. do what you want. Yeah. And all we've done is we worked with a the committee there and, and asked them, we've done a lot of uh, grassy hollows off of greens, mm. so bailout areas, yeah. which is a big thing. We've we've extended the Fowler uh, vertical mound, mm. in, and then on the 18th we changed the whole 18th last year. We took all the trees down round the back of the car park, which were conifers. Mm. There was no place for them on Heathrow, yeah. of course. Um, they built a six metre higher patio and gave me four metres to tie it into the 18th. <laughs> <laughs> so it was an engineering feat, but we put in a really steep mound, which Fowler had given us that style works with what's on the course and already. we were lucky because if we didn't have those steep fall-offs yeah we wouldn't have been out and make it fit we would have had to move the 18th green but we did that and it was a blind shot cross bunkers we did away with the cross bank where's well, a bank of heather so that the long hitters could get through the middle and it's just turned out brilliant but that that is walking so what a shaper does is he turns up you're paying for a shaper you know, it's not going to be cheap. He's on an hourly rate. He turns up. The first, if he's a good shaper, the machine will be ticking over and he'll disappear for two hours because he's walking the course. Hmm. He's walking the holes he hasn't seen yet. He's looking at little dips and hollows, rig and furrow in the fairways, where the drainage is going to go, all these factors. And then he's then tuned into not the golf course he was just at, but the one he's working on now. Yeah. So you've got to go and look at your habitat if you're good. And then if you're really good, your your work will be in that, hopefully that area where people don't believe you've done the work, you know. You know, how has that been done so quick? And using the indigenous grass bilberry chunking, you're taking, you're not bringing in stuff from outside that's, you know, brand new, like turf. You're using the turf that's already growing there. So, so, so the comment I had, there's always one comment, and um, <laughs> the first hole at Bodie's there is a massive bomb hole full of heather. It's frightening. It must be 25 metres deep. Right? Yeah. And, that, and, you know, Colt said, ease people into the first hole. Short par four, widish landing area, not too much bunkering, accessible green. Boogie par, yeah. nice start, birdie if you're lucky. Good, great start to the round. That was his ethos. <laughs> the fowler, 
I don't know whether it's a bomb hole or whatever. It's a massive crater. Fowler was more demanding, though, as an he architect. Was. He wanted tighter to fairways. Walton Heath, he was obsessed with yeah, yeah. making it Absolutely. very difficult for yeah, the yeah. team. So, so basically, good player Fowler. This this uh, this this golfer cricketer, I think, and he was yeah. a great cricketer. But sadly, as well. I think he was a Chelsea fan. Um, was oh, he? Oh, or was it Tottenham? I can't. It was one of the two. No, Bo- that would be right. He grew up in London. Yeah, <laughs> but he was he a hell did. of a good ball striker. So he was. He definitely liked a tighter fairway. But basically, when, when we were at Bow, this this member came out and we'd done all the the chunking at eighteen and put. You know, we were well out of the play, but we'd done mounding at the back. Shouldn't be in there. And he went, I don't agree with all this chunking. He says, it doesn't fit with the rest of the course. And he just walked into the first tee. I said to him, can I just ask you a question? He said, I said, do you play the first tee shot of your round with your eyes shut? (laughs) He said, why? I said, because you're playing over a crater full of what the same. That's where I've got this stuff from. (laughs) (laughs) So it's indigenous. It's growing here and it's nowhere near as demand. But but yeah, that's that's what we did. But, you know, you've got to have... Yeah, you've got to have that perception of of where you're working. So if if you're paying for a shaper, and you see him walking around in the woods, he's actually working. Well, that's the thing. So Mick Wells, great podcast. You're coming to our Christmas party in a couple I of weeks' certainly time. Certainly am. Yeah, well, this will probably be out by then. So yeah, you'll be the most popular man in town. <laughs> well, that won't be a first. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Cheers, Mick. Cheers. This.